this time, so we'll, uh, it's a little hot, maybe ringing a little bit, but uh, we'll give this a go, and uh, thank you for being patient with us. Um, so our Hub City Christmas production is coming right up uh, soon, coming at us fast, and uh, I heard this morning that there were like five tickets left for the Sunday night deal, Sunday night, the first opening night, and, uh, but lots of tickets left for the next two nights, um, like maybe 600 each for each of those next two nights. And so right after the service, if you were thinking, I need to get my tickets, uh, if you're thinking of more people that you'd like to invite, um, be sure to get those right after the service this morning. The, you might remember the last year that we ran the Living Christmas Tree, which was uh, a few years ago now, uh, we had 12,000 people that last year to the tree. And, uh, and our goal this year, it'd be great this year if, if we could like hit like 4,000 with Hub City, and then we're rebuilding, and hopefully some year we'll, we'll go right past 12,000 and uh, we'll reach like 20,000 people with our Christmas production. Who knows? But anyhow, that's where we're at. And, um, and so we're praying over each of those tickets that you take out and uh, praying that uh, your friends and family and neighbors and coworkers and all the people you give them to, that they come. And uh, it's gonna be, gonna be an exciting time. Well, a lot has changed since that first night in Bethlehem, two young parents and a baby uh, just trying to find shelter in a borrowed animal stall. And uh, one thing that hasn't changed from the first Christmas until now is the whole, the whole theme or idea of, of waiting. You know, we, we wait for Christmas to come. And uh, there's a lot of expectation around Christmas, especially if you're, you know, if you're younger, then you can, you know, hardly, hardly sleep as you wait for it to come. And, you know, we wait for Christmas with Advent calendars, and wish list and thinking about what we what we might re be receiving on Christmas Christmas Day or thinking about others reactions when they when they find out what we've given to them the thought that went into it and all those sorts of of things and uh, the excitement of the children building up to Christmas and all the the waiting and the anticipation and all of that it really mirrors the the waiting and the anticipation uh, before Jesus in, in people's lives who were, who were praying and expecting and hoping that God would send them uh, a Messiah. And so there was a lot of suspense in the air the night that Jesus Christ was born. And most of the time, most of us uh, don't like waiting. Every gadget and gizmo company in the world is trying to make your life easier, faster, and more efficient so that you'll have more time in your day to fill with more things that are easier, faster, and more efficient, right? Um, I, for, for instance, in my life, I love French press coffee. It's my favorite, but it takes like forever. It takes like four minutes. <laughs> I just don't have four minutes to stand there and wait for this to, uh, to, to, to perk. And then you have, to, you, have, like, you have to boil water. Boiling water takes like forever. Is it getting longer to boil water or what? It just seems to take forever. And then all the cleanup that you have to do, and you have to get, you know, if you're going to French press, you've got to get your coffee ground to just the perfect, the perfect uh, consistency. Either if you don't, it'll be, your coffee will be too weak, or it'll be sooty. Who, you know, nobody wants sooty coffee, right? So that's got to be just perfect. You've got to get that just perfect. Just, the whole thing is just, it's just, it's just too, too time-consuming, right? So I use a Keurig. And I got a Keurig at home, and I got a Keurig in my office, and I use, the, I use the refillable cups, right? All I gotta do is take this little plastic refillable and put pre-ground coffee into that, put it in the machine, slam the top, hit the button, 
And it takes like a minute. I'm like, I could write a book. Like, what is taking you so long? Come on. It's, it's like a whole minute to wait for, for a cup of coffee. We don't like waiting. We don't like being put on, on hold. You know, if, you, if you've got to make a, a phone call for something and they, they tell you, you know, good news, you're on hold. Nobody likes to be put on hold. And when God speaks through uh, the angel Gabriel in Luke chapter 1, he's breaking 400 years of silence. That's a long time to be put on hold. And you thought you were good at the silent treatment. And people were, they were dialing heaven for 400 years and getting, and getting put on, on hold every day. There were people who were praying. There were people who were expecting. And they, they believed the prophecies about the Messiah. And they wondered, could today be the day? And they would get put on hold. And then tomorrow would come. Could today be the day? And they would be put on hold for 400 years. And generation after generation literally went to their graves without, uh, without an answer from God. At least not the answer that they were hoping for. And so when we read the book of Luke, when, when you begin reading the first chapter of the book of Luke, Luke puts his account in a very specific time frame. And he tells us that when Herod was king of Judea, there was a priest who married the daughter of a priest. He tells us about this couple, and their names are Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now in Luke chapter 1, verse 6, says this. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, and they were careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. Now, Zechariah and Elizabeth were both preacher's kids, right? They were both PKs. And just because you are a PK doesn't make you righteous or careful or obedient. Just ask my kids. I've got two PKs, and they can tell you this. And just because you are a priest and you married the daughter of a priest. I didn't do that. I married the daughter of a dairy farmer. But still, just because you're a priest and you married the daughter of a priest, that doesn't make you righteous or careful or obedient. A lot of priests in, this, in, that, in that era, in, uh, Isaiah, in uh, Zechariah's era, uh, got into the priesthood because uh, this is what their family wanted them to do. Your father was a priest and your grandfather was a priest and you're going to be a priest. And so that they were kind of uh, pushed into it. Or they did it because uh, of the recognition that it gave them in the community and being a priest was a big deal, and so that's why they did it. But just because these, these people handled the fire of God doesn't mean that they themselves were on fire for God. And uh, I was thinking about my own call to ministry, and uh, I always knew that I was called to be a pastor. People would, you know, people often ask, how did you know, or when did you know, or that sort of thing, and I always knew that I was going to be a pastor. My mother knew that I was going to be uh, a minister when, from the very time that I was born. The pastor who visited my mother in the hospital when I was born told her, you've got your, you've got your preacher, and I always knew it growing up, but it wasn't something that my family, you know, constantly reminded me of or anything like that. I just, I just always knew that I was going to be a preacher. I never had to, to kind of have a crisis moment where I figured it out it, it just was. And I wish that as a, as a pastor, I wish as your pastor, that I could stand here and say that I have always been righteous and I've always been careful and I've always been obedient, but that would be a lie. And I've made mistakes. And there have been times in my life when I have clearly needed grace. But what Luke wants us to know when he, when he points out that 
that there was a Zechariah and Elizabeth, and, and, and he tells us about these people. He wants us to know what to do and, and who to be while you wait. If God has you on hold, if God has you in a waiting pattern, if, if, you're, if you've been praying for something for years, and you're wondering, you know, hello, 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 you know, and, and you're wondering, like, is, any, you know, is, is, is there ever going to be an answer to this? Luke wants you to know what to do and who to be while you wait. Because there's a big difference between waiting on God and waiting in God. Big difference between those two. And so Zechariah, I, I might call him Zach sometimes during this message, and Elizabeth, I might call her Beth, so if you, if you hear me talk about Zach and Beth, that's them. They were waiting in God. Your attitude while you wait determines your altitude after the wait. All right, let's look at verse 7. In Luke 1, 7, he says, They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Now you get to know them a little bit better. Life isn't perfect. They have deep hurts and prayers that they've been carrying a long time. So they're not only waiting for a Messiah to come, they're waiting for an answer to their daily personal prayer. And despite waiting 400 years to hear from God, and despite going their whole married lives uh, with the disappointment of barrenness, they choose, they make a choice not to be disappointed with God. It would be easy for them to be discouraged. It would be easy for them to be bitter and maybe even to give up or just go through the motions, uh, do uh, Zechariah's priestly duties and, and just kind of put up a front and wear a mask and, and hide the fact that they're deeply disappointed with God or, or hide the fact that they, they've lost all faith in God or hide the fact that they don't even believe in God anymore. It would be easy for them to do that. Here's a couple who have, who have given their entire lives to serve God. They've denied themselves uh, from all the other things that they see people enjoying in the world and all that. Um, they've chosen a life of service, a public life where everyone in the community would know exactly uh, their, their every move and everyone in the community would, would whisper about Elizabeth as she walked by day after day without a child. And in that, in that community, in that day, if you, were, if you were not able to have children, people just assumed that God was mad at you. And so every day, as all the other mothers talked about their kids and, and walked their kids and all of that, and all these little munchkins are running around everywhere, and then Elizabeth would come by, and, and people would think, you know, wow, whatever she did, it must have been a doozy. Does she ever upset God, you know? God is punishing her. She's a, she's a disgrace. Look at, look at how blessed we are with our children. I don't know what she did, but boy, it must have been a good one. You see, we all have wish lists here this morning. Every, every person who's here has, something, has a prayer or, 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 or a burden or something that, that is on their list, something that's on their heart, something that you wish God would, would answer for you or something that you wish God would do for you. And Zach and Beth have learned that your character is more important than your comfort. Your character is more important with your comfort. God might be keeping something from you because of something better he wants to do in you. 
And the principle that we can learn from this childless pastoral couple in first century Judea is this. Who I am becoming is more important than what I am receiving. Now try this with your six-year-olds leading up to Christmas. You know, we're going to give you character for Christmas. That's not, that, that might not go over. It doesn't come in a Lego box. But as adults, we know this to be true. That God is more interested in who I am becoming than what I am receiving. You see, we often ask God, God, when? When is this going to happen? God, come on, come through for me. When? When is this going to happen? Or why? We often ask, why? Why, Lord, why is this happening to me right now? When a better question we can ask is what? Lord, what is it that you want to do in me, in my life? Or what do you want to do through me in this situation? While I'm waiting, while I'm in the wait, Lord, is, is there some, someone else that I'm supposed to, you know, help or minister to or encourage? Lord, what is it you want to do through me while I'm waiting? What do you want to do in my life? How can I grow? How can I learn? How can I be a light in this situation that shines the life and truth of Jesus Christ to others? Zechariah was one of 18,000 priests who were eligible to enter into the holy place of the temple and offer burnt incense to the Lord. And you thought we had a large staff. And so they were all in groups or, or called orders. And the order of priests that Zechariah belonged to was on temple duty this week. And they would cast lots uh, to see who got to go in. And uh, so if you won the lottery that week, you got to go in and, the, and burn the incense. And that particular week, the lot fell on Zechariah. So this is, out of 18,000 priests, this is a once-in-a-lifetime deal. You got one chance to go in there and not mess it up. It was a big deal with a big crowd outside. The crowd would gather around outside and, and pray as the, as the priest was inside burning this incense. And so you would go into the temple all the way to the, to the most holy place in the temple. You would remove the ashes from the, from the previous burn. And you would place your new incense on the hot altar and as that, as that was burning and, and the, the smoke and the aroma of the incense was rising, you would fall prostrate, just, just fall face, just don't look anywhere, just, just fall down and pray. And we don't know what Zechariah was praying for. Maybe he was, maybe he was still praying for a baby. Maybe he still prayed that prayer and, and asked God to bless them with the, with the little one. Maybe he prayed for a Messiah that, that was on the hearts and minds of, of everyone. But we don't know what he was praying for. And no one else can get to this part of the temple. This is the holy place. This is their most protected piece of real estate that they have. And uh, there's some, some, some legends and stories that, that suggest that uh, sometimes they would tie a rope onto the ankle of the priest when he was going in in case, in case he passed out or died while he was in there. Because you couldn't go in and, and just help them. Like, if, you know, if you have a heart attack, you're dead. Sorry. And they would tie a rope to him. In case he, he died, they could drag the body out. Because <laughs> nobody dared 
to go in after him uh, to get him. And so Zechariah is in there, and it's this really intense, once-of-a-lifetime spiritual moment. And you know how you can just sometimes tell that there's somebody else in the room without even looking? You can just tell that there's somebody else, there's someone else there. And out of nowhere, the angel Gabriel just, just shows up, just, just appears. Now, if you, Gabriel loves doing this. He, sh he shows up, he loves to show up and scare the jelly out of people. And then he always says, Gabriel always says, oh, don't be afraid. Oh, no, why would I be afraid? It's just an angel who just showed up out of nowhere, right? And so Gabriel is an angel with a sick sense of humor. And um, let's look in verse 13 of what Gabriel tells Zechariah. He says this, but the angel said, don't be afraid. Oh, no, why would I be afraid? Um, God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Now, if this sounds familiar, it is. Uh, in, in the book of Genesis, Abraham and Sarah had a messenger from God uh, show up in their lives and tell them that in their old age, they too would have a child. And then six months after uh, this Luke chapter 1, after Zechariah's account, Six months after Gabriel shows up and scares him half to death, um, Gabriel shows up to visit Mary and gives her the news that she also will encounter a miraculous birth. And, and, and if you look at Mary's account, while Mary is, is, is hearing this from Gabriel and she's trying to wrap her mind around this and trying to comprehend the angel's prophecy, wondering how all this could be possible, uh, it's then that Gabriel tells her, that her chronologically challenged, that's, that's the political correct way of saying, you know, someone's old. Anyhow, that her chronologically challenged cousin Elizabeth is in her sixth month with John the Baptist. And then Gabriel says in verse 37, he says, because Mary, nothing is impossible with God. So let's just look at the parallels here for a minute. Elizabeth had a void something missing in her life, and God was giving her a messenger child to prepare the way. Mary was filling a void because something is missing in our lives, and God gave her a Messiah child who is the way. Isn't that cool? I like that. And through her many years of unanswered prayer and heartache, Elizabeth kept her heart in a place where God could use her. Her disappointment with God didn't cause her to disengage from God. The things that you see as affecting your comfort right now, you know, why isn't this happening? And when will this, I need this right now. The things that you see as affecting your comfort might actually be there to accelerate your character. God's principles are still true, 
He sees our greatest needs. He hears our cries and our prayers, the groaning of our hearts. He's not disconnected from our lives. He's active. And even if it feels like you've been on hold for 400 years, God can, can birth something new into your life today. He can do something brand new into your life today that not only meets your needs, but it blesses the lives of others around you. And both of these families, Zechariah and uh, Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph, both of these families were prepared from the very beginning to give their gift away for the greater good. I love it. And that portion of scripture that we read, verses 13 to 17, tells us that, that, that this child, John, that they were going to have, will, he'll, he will prepare people for Jesus. Now, don't want to I'm not going to try to stretch the text to, to make it say something that it doesn't, but, but there are some clear parallels that we read about, about who John the Baptist was going to be that, that really do apply to us. Think about this. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was set apart. He would be obedient to God's plan for his life, and God used him to change hearts and point people to Jesus. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can be set apart. You can be obedient to God's plan for your life. And God can use you to point other people to Jesus. John's life, John was like a large blinking uh, neon arrow that pointed at Jesus. That was John's whole purpose and mission was just to point to Jesus and say, there he is, there's the Lamb of God, there's the Messiah, it's all about him follow him, worship him, be baptized in his name. You know, that, it's him. And that's what John did. He was just a, a large uh, neon arrow that pointed to Jesus. Does my life point others to Jesus? Does your life point others to Jesus? Does Moncton Wesleyan Church, does this church stand in this community as a large neon blinking arrow that just points people to Jesus Christ. Do people in the, in the greater Moncton area, do they know what we're all about? Do they know what's most important in our lives? And we're praying that, that many of us will, will invite and encourage others to come to our Hub City Christmas production. That's the reason we do it, is to, is to point other people to Jesus. And we're praying that, that all of our invitations that go out that, that, that others will come to this Christmas production. And the most important thing of that night, the most important thing is, is that we clearly communicate and present to them who Jesus is and give them an opportunity to follow him and serve him with their lives. That's why we do what we do. One invite, one invitation can change a family's spiritual tree for generations. Some of you who are here this morning and, and, and you came to Christ, and your, your kids came to Christ, and then you've seen grandkids come to Christ. And if you follow that back far enough, somewhere, sometime, somebody invited one of your ancestors to, to know and follow Jesus Christ. And it changed your spiritual tree for, for, for generations. So like Abraham and Sarah from, from, from the Old Testament, when Gabriel is telling this to Zechariah, Zechariah is doing the math in his head. 
right? And even though he's talking to an angel in the holiest place of the temple, he's still human and he still wonders how is this all possible? And because he says to Gabriel, you know, like, really? Like, how? How can, like, I'm not, you know, we're old. We're chronologically challenged here. How is this going to happen? Gabriel is not all that impressed with this. And he strikes Zechariah speechless, cannot talk, and you won't talk again until the baby is born. Nine months of silence. So apparently Elizabeth gets two gifts. Fast forward nine months, the baby is born, Uh, the neighbors come around and rejoice with her, she calls the baby John, and the neighbors reject his name, (laughs) and the neighbors are all like, what? There's no John in your family, you can't name him John, and uh, Zechariah motions, he can't talk yet, and he motions for someone to bring him a, a, a writing tablet, it's a piece of wood with, with a thin layer of wax on it so that you can just scribble out what you want. It's the early Etch-a-Sketch. And, and he takes it and he, and he writes the name John and instantly he gets back his voice. And what does he do when he gets back his voice? Um, he breaks out in a spontaneous worship service. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and I just picture this old guy dancing and giving praise to God. And he breaks forth with this, this, this glorious song of uh, prophecy. It's Luke chapter 1. Um, look, we'll pick it up in verse 65 first. Where, as, as uh, well, all right, let me read 64. Instantly Zechariah could speak again, and he began praising God. Now 65. Awe fell upon the whole neighborhood, and the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Someday I'm going to preach about the awe, all the times that we see awe, A-W-E, not A-W-W-W, like awe. Not that kind of awe, but, but real true awe. Someday I'm going to preach on this in the places in Scripture where people simply had no other explanation to give. All they could do was just stand in awe of God. And my prayer, my vision for greater mountain is that we would see a move of God in our generation so spectacular and so life-changing that awe would fill the entire community. I want the generations that follow after you and me, that follow after us, to talk about a a group of people, us, right here, to talk about a group of people who, who took God at his word and who believed that all things are possible, and they prayed, and they worshiped, and they were obedient to God, and they went out into the dark places of their communities, and to those who were hurting, and to those who needed hope, and they shared the love of Jesus, and thousands of people came to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Wouldn't that be awesome? And that, and that awe, would just, this Moncton would just stand in awe, not of us, not of me. I don't, I don't care if they know me, but in awe of Jesus Christ, in awe of God, in awe, and people just say there's no other way to explain what is happening. It has to be, it has to be the one true God. And so the whole community there, they just stood in awe. I love it. I love it. Verse 67. Verse 67. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. The Holy Spirit is, is all over these people. He's in the baby John before he's even born. 
He's in the angel's prophecy. He's in Gabriel's prophecy to Mary. He's in Elizabeth when John leaps inside her. Uh, and he's all over Zechariah as he sings a song of praise to the Lord. I was studying um, Zechariah's uh, song of praise. We're going to get to it here in a minute. I'm, I'm trying. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Hang in here. I was studying it this week, and I saw uh, three things I'd never seen before. It's just like just jumping off the page to me. And um, so Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, here's this, this older, dignified priest who's breaking forth and dancing in song, and he wants, there's, there's three things that, that he wants us to know. And, and here they are. God remembers. He wants us to know that God remembers and that God is a God who rescues us and God restores. Now let's look at it quickly here. Uh, verses 68 to 70. God remembers. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago, just as he promised. In, in other words, Zechariah is saying, they were right. All those prophets, they were right. They weren't wrong. They weren't, they weren't crazy, and we're not crazy, and this all makes sense. We're, we're a part of God's story. It's just, this, it's just the way that God said. God said it. God did it. I believe it. That settles it. And uh, God did not forget his people, Israel. He did not forget Zechariah and Elizabeth, and he has not forgotten you. And it's maybe somebody this morning, maybe that's the reason why you came to church, just so you could hear someone remind you that God has not forgotten you. He hasn't lost your prayer. You aren't just another, another person. You are his child, and he loves you, and he created you, and he sees you, and he hears you. And what you don't see right now, while you're waiting, you can't see his plan. But that doesn't make him less God. That just makes you human. And, but you can trust God. This is what Zechariah is saying. He can be trusted. Uh, you are not forgotten. He's a faithful God. He remembers. All right, the next one. Uh, picking it up again in verse 71. Zechariah's dancing and singing, and he says, Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He's been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant. The covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear. I'm going to read that again. We have been rescued from our enemies so that we can serve God without fear. God remembers us, and he rescues us. Serving God without fear. This, this echoes the series that we did in November on, on uh, anxiety, most of November. If you weren't here or missed any of it, it's all on our website. And uh, you can find our website just by mw.church. Just put that in the, in the address bar. It's the easiest uh, link to remember in the world, mw.church. And you can go back and watch uh, all of those messages on anxiety. When fear and anxiety and stress and the weight of this world is, is pushing in on you, you can push back. Get in there and fight. Hold your ground. Uh, take ground. Remember, like, like Zechariah, that you serve a rescuing 
king. And he's put his Holy Spirit inside you as a helper. And we have the resurrection power surging inside of us. And don't ever doubt what lengths God was willing to go to to rescue you. He was willing to give his very best for you. You are worth everything to God. You're worth everything to God. And like Zechariah, serve God without fear. Kick Satan in the teeth. Start your day in the presence of God and, and finish your day in the presence of God and stay in his presence and lean on him by the minute if you have to. Do whatever you need to do to win and not let the enemy gain ground in your life. You hold your ground because it's worth it and don't you let the enemy steal what God has rescued you. He has rescued you. He's, he's a God who remembers us. He's a God who rescues us. And uh, in, in verse 75, Zechariah says, In holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. Uh, just connecting that back to 74, where he says, We can serve God without fear. And then in 75, In holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. This is the response of the redeemed. In holiness and righteousness. Um, earlier in this text, Zechariah praised God for redeeming us. Redeem means to buy back. Liberation by payment or to ransom. In verse 75 is our response in holiness and righteousness. In light of all that God has done for us, for as long as we will live, you filter all of your, all of your decisions through this in holiness and righteousness for as long as we will live. Filter all of your decisions through this, all of them, every day. And just keep asking yourself, is this decision, what I'm about to do, is this holiness and righteousness or is it something else? Is it pleasing to God or not? Does this decision that I'm about to make, does it really reflect how thankful I am to God for, for redeeming me and, uh, and, and rescuing my soul? And that will change how you live. And it'll change what you, put, what you post on Facebook. I'm just saying. Filter all of your decisions through that. Is this holiness? Is this righteousness? Is, is, is the way I'm living and the decisions I'm making a proper response for all that God has done in my life? All right, verse 76. And you, my little son, Zechariah saying of his son John, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You'll tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from, from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. Verse 77, you will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. God remembers us. God rescues us, and God has come to restore us, to restore what, what has been broken by, by sin. He's, he's faithful in remembering us. He has not forgotten. He will rescue us, and he forgives us. He restores us. We can find salvation through the forgiveness of our sins. Zechariah knows that Jesus the Messiah is coming. He knows that salvation is just around the corner, like it is on the 
way. And Zechariah can, now that, now that he knows it, it's all unfolding now, the 400 years of silence has been answered. The king is coming. And now he can just start to imagine and picture how lives are going to be changed and what God is going to, be do, going to do. And he can see people turning from their sins. He can see people finding forgiveness and salvation and mercy and grace in Jesus Christ. He can picture people coming back to God and, and being baptized into this new life with Jesus Christ. And he can picture people being filled with the Holy Spirit. And as Isaiah is, is singing and dancing and prophesying out this, this song, he, he finds an, an, an imagery to help us um, picture what this is, is going to be like. And, and, and he finds imagery in his song to help us grasp how awesome this is. And he's trying to, he's trying to tell us like, like, like salvation in Jesus Christ is like a brand new day. It's like that first light maybe after the, the first stupid snowstorm of the year. Or maybe when the power comes back on. Zechariah is saying it's like, it's like when the power comes back on in your life and you get that surge of energy and the lights go back on and you're so thankful for that. Zechariah is saying that when you see Jesus and you see how beautiful he is and you invite his truth into your life, he says it's, it's like the sun coming up in your soul. It's like the dawn of a new day coming up. In your soul. He says, God floods your heart and your mind and your soul with his love and his mercy. In verse 79, he says, God gives light to those who are in darkness. And he references the 23rd Psalm. And he says, even if you're in the shadow of death, God is there to guide you with his path of peace. And, and Zechariah gives us this beautiful imagery and truth of turning to Jesus. Maybe um, if you're here this morning and, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, maybe you've been celebrating the birthday of somebody you don't even know yet. And today would be a great day to, to cross that line of faith and say, Jesus, I've been, I've been hanging lights for a lot of years and exchanging gifts for a lot of years, but until now, I haven't really seen who you are, how good you are, and what you want to do in my life. And Jesus, today is the day that I want to, I want to invite you in, in, in the real light of your truth to come into my life and shine your light onto any any darkness that I have and, and fill every area of my life. Make me your child and today, Jesus, I will, from this point on, I will live for you, I will serve you, I will follow you with my whole life. Today would be a great day to meet, to meet Jesus. Maybe you find Christmas to be a difficult season. I know that's true for a lot of people and they don't, they don't really look forward to Christmas and they'll be happy when it's over and they can start a new year. And maybe you just need to be reminded this morning that he's the God who remembers you. He sees you, and he's faithful. And he's the God who rescues you. He's not forgotten about you. And he's the God who restores. He forgives us, and he gives us a fresh start with each new day. Let's pray together.
Lord, I just thank you this morning for this truth that we see in your word from Zechariah and Elizabeth to very normal, very average people who made a choice to serve you and follow you even when life didn't make sense, even when life was hard. And when you blessed them, they recognized that it was you and they gave you the glory and then they offered their gift back to you. God, I pray this morning, pray for anyone who's here that just needed to be reminded that you see them, they're not forgotten, and that you love them. And I also pray, God, for anyone who's here who, up until now, they, they, they've not had a personal relationship with you. They've been participating in Christmas, but not really knowing you as their Savior. And I pray, God, that you would give them the strength and courage to make that decision today. And so, Lord, be with us now as we worship, as we respond to your word, and as we fully surrender to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we all stand together? If you'd stand with us. And uh, David and the band are going to lead us in a great song that's called Waiting Here for You. And if you'd like to come this morning and pray, and uh, pray for yourself, uh, I encourage you to do that. It's always good to have people praying. And here's another specific prayer I want to give us this morning. It's be to pray for unsaved loved ones and friends, family. Be praying over those tickets that you've been given out for Hub City. And obviously, uh, especially this morning, if, if, if you want to come down front and talk to someone about how to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, uh, we'd love to meet with you this morning as well. And uh, so let's worship together, and then I'll be back in a couple of minutes. And uh, we'll, we'll close the service.